such an honor to be able to uh, be here this morning. My name is Rob Lewis. I am the teaching pastor at the Calvary campus of First Baptist Owasso. And uh, this morning, Pastor Chris is actually at Calvary filling the pulpit over there, and, and I get the opportunity to fill the pulpit here, whether you can believe it or not. Can you believe that he switched with me on a day like today? And it's so cool just to see the ministry that God's been, been doing through um, our church, one church in two locations. And we've been down there for about a year and a half now. And I'll tell you what, if you, haven't, if you haven't come and checked it out, if you haven't been a part of what's going on down there, I invite you to. Not that you have to stay forever, but come check it out because God's doing some unique and beautiful things over there. And I'm so humbled to be a part of that. And today we continue our study in the book of Acts. So if you have your scripture, which I hope you do, go ahead and, and turn to Acts chapter 23, and that's where we're going to focus in this morning. Um, but as we get started, I want to I help us understand how we got here. How did we get to this part of the story in Paul's life? Well, what had happened was he went to Jerusalem, um, even though everyone said, don't go, don't go, they're going to they're gonna do things to you there. And he said, why are you breaking my heart? And, and he surrendered to the will of God. And so everyone around said that we submit you, we surrender you to God's will. And so Paul goes, and when he gets there, he's arrested. But before he's arrested, these Jews are basically kicking his ribs and wanting to kill him. And the Romans saw what was going on, and they ran down there, and they saved Paul from the Jews. And then they were trying to figure out what's going on. Why are they trying to kill this guy? And so the tribune called this council and had Ananias, the high priest, come in. During that conversation, Paul is sharing a little bit of his testimony, and he says some things that they don't want to hear. And so, bam, they strike Paul in the face. And Paul's response was really interesting because at first he throws out this harsh thing. He says, you whitewashed tomb. And he curses him. But then they say, are you going to speak to the high priest like that? And what we see, I believe, is a quick moment in Paul's life where he, he humbles himself, and I believe he repents in that moment. And so one of the things that we looked at last week was this idea that in the trial, we are provided with the opportunity to either express and demonstrate a holy witness or sinful entitlement. And at Calvary, I challenged the congregation there to hold to these three things, and I believe Chris did the same here. And those three truths, those three anchor points when we're in trials, we ought to hold to as one, that I am not entitled to sin even when I am wronged. I am not entitled to sin even when I am wronged. Two, it is better to bless than to curse. And three, I commit to repent and submit quickly when I recognize that I am wrong. So we saw that last week. We saw that idea, but here we are moving a little bit further in the narrative. And what has happened is Paul has been taken and he's still under arrest. And they're still trying to figure out what's going on and what to do with him. But it's an interesting thing that we'll see here is in prison, as he's under arrest, Jesus comes and visits him. And so that's going to be what we're going to focus on in the nearness of Christ. And the sermon topic today, if you will, the title is The Lord is Near. And the heart of the message this morning is, is Christ is tender towards and never far away from those who are his servants. And that's, that's something that I think we as Christians have to hold on to. And that's something that we're going to unpack this morning. And so the major doctrine I'd like to defend is Christ is a friend who visits and encourages the humble. And I believe that this is something that we're going to see um, this morning. So if you will, stand with me and we'll begin to read our scripture. We'll be in chapter 23, 
beginning in verse 11. And actually, verse 11 is where we're going to focus this morning. But we're going to read 11 through 35 this morning. So the scripture says this, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, this is referring to the Apostle Paul, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so must you testify also in Rome. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you are going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard this ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, as he has something to say to you. And the tribune took him by the hand and going aside asked him privately, What is it that you would have to tell me? The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them. For more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him, who have bound themselves by oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, Tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen, to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. That's about 9 p.m. for our reference. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias, to his excellency the governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. And desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to the council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when, I was, when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And by the next day they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what providence he was from. And when he had learned that he was from Caesarea, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You may be seated. So there's a whole lot here in this narrative and much more than we can unpack in 30 minutes. But the idea here is that Paul is in this situation. And we're going to dig into why is he in this situation. But even though he's in this situation, there's beautiful things to be seen. And the one that we're going to focus on is that the Lord visits him in this. And we're going to glean from this and try to understand what's going on with this and also be comforted by this experience. But there's some beauty in here in that God through his providence, makes a way for Paul to be preserved, for his life to be spared over and over. Do you see that? First off, from the Jews, the Jews were ready to have him right now, kill him right now. And who saved him? The Romans. The Romans came and saved Paul. 
And then they're, they're, ready, they're ready to ambush him. And who saves him? The Romans. They save him again. How? By being tipped off. By who? By Paul's nephew. I don't know about you, but I never really thought about the Apostle Paul having a sister or a nephew. Could you imagine Uncle Paul? I mean, we all have uncles we can relate to, but could you imagine Uncle Paul? What does he buy you for your birthday? I mean, that's that's just crazy to wrap my mind around. But here is this family relationship. He has a sister. He has a nephew. That nephew is the one who comes and tells. And it's a beautiful thing to see that through God's providence, Paul is spared time and time again. And so we're going to make three stops this morning. We're going to take a look at the ministry and what is true ministry. I want us to be able to dive in and to understand what ministry actually is. And then the next thing we're going to take a look at is this idea of seeing and suffering. What can we see in suffering that we can't see in other times in our life? And then third, we're going to focus in on the nearness of Christ. So we're going to take a look at ministry, seeing and suffering, and the nearness of Christ. So when we start to think about ministry, sometimes we think of ministry in light of what happens inside the walls of the church. Sometimes you think of vocational ministry. We think of people who are called to ministry. But what I think we have to do is we have to step back and look at ministry correctly, partially meaning that it is service to God, but even further than that, ministry is obedience to Christ. Get that. Ministry is obedience to Christ. So in no way are we justified in simplifying ministry into some box, into ministry happens only within the walls of the church. Ministry has to go beyond the walls of the church. And you know what? Surely there's a rightness. There's a rightness into to, to seeing that some people are called to vocational ministry. There's a rightness in setting some apart, just like we did this morning with the Stowe family, that we're setting them apart for vocational ministry. But you know what? Shame on us if we ever convince ourselves that even in vocational ministry, it's restricted to the life of the church inside these walls and through these programs. Paul's ministry was not just in the churches he started. Paul's ministry was not just getting up and preaching. Paul's ministry was outside of the church because what? It was more about obedience to Christ wherever Christ led him. And do you remember whenever the Jews, uh, his friends who were Jews were saying, don't go to Jerusalem? These were Christian Jews, but they're saying, don't do this. And and I don't know if you guys harped on this point, but I did at Calvary, that sometimes even our Christian friends will give us advice for safety rather than obedience. Sometimes they'll encourage us in the way of safety rather than in obedience. But do you know that you can actually be doing ministry and sinning? You ever thought about that? You can be doing ministry and be in sin. How? Because you're not doing what God has called you to do. Is it possible to run from the Lord and do ministry? Yes, think of Jonah. What was Jonah called to do? Go to Nineveh. What if Jonah went and said, you know what, I'd rather not do that. I would rather lead a Sunday school class instead at my local church. It's ministry. But would that not be sin? Doing something good, yet be in sin. 
So I want us to have in our hearts and our minds that ministry is more than the programs. Ministry is more than the life inside the church. Ministry is obedience to Christ. And as we look at Paul's life and as he's here in this situation, I can't help but think that this is exactly what Paul was called to do. This is Paul living out his ministry. If you remember back to Acts 9, Jesus had some specific words for Paul, giving him a foreshadowing of what his ministry would be like. So imagine this, you're ordained, and someone sets you down with perfect insight. This isn't like telling you what might happen. This is someone telling you what exactly will happen in your ministry, okay? So let's picture this. Jesus is saying, Paul, I've called you into the ministry. I'm going to give you a certain type of ministry, and without fail, here's exactly what it's going to be like. And if you read it, Acts 9, 15 through 16, he says, For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Thank you very much. Could you imagine that? So when we look at Paul, we sometimes are, are hesitant to think, man, you know, what if someone, one of us was in prison What would we be doing? We'd be praying for them to get out. We'd be trying to do everything we could to get them out of that situation. And so we think, Jesus, go save Paul. Go save him. His ministry can't be going well if he's going through all these sufferings. It can't be your will that he's in prison right now. But it is exactly God's will that Paul be in prison right now. Do you know throughout the ministry of Paul and his prison experiences He wrote some incredible epistles, (laughs) some letters. God blessed him in that time with that freedom and clarity of mind. And obviously we believe through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But every one of these things that happened to Paul, including his suffering, was part of the ministry he was called to. So we have to look at this and say, you know what? Sometimes when we are suffering, that is not evidence that we're not doing ministry. That is not evidence that we're doing something wrong. And I can think of several different examples throughout church history. Uh, But one comes to mind clearly this morning is that of Jim Elliott. I think everyone is is probably familiar with Jim Elliott. Um, He was speared to death uh, by the Wadani people. And he was out there ministering to them. Now some might say, wow, something must have went wrong. He didn't share the gospel clearly enough or something. But but that's not true, is it? Now, Now let me say something that's very hard. I believe it's the will of God that Jim Elliot was speared to death. You may, you, may, you may be uncomfortable with that, and that's okay. Struggle with that. Because you know what God has called us to do? Obey him even at great cost. So if you have in your heart right now that God would never call you to something that would cause you to suffer, you're wrong. Ministry is obedience to Christ. Ministry has cost. So we can sit here and we can look at this and we can say, Paul, why are you in this position? But I think that he is here because God has called him to this. And what we're about to see and focus on is that Jesus shows up, but you know what he doesn't do here? He doesn't break him out. He breaks him out in other times, but you know what he doesn't do here? He doesn't break him out. He visits him in his suffering. He doesn't free him from his suffering. He visits him while he's in his suffering. So you and I have to take that and say, what does that mean for me, Lord? And we have to start to develop our own prayers in that light of saying, Lord, please do not deliver me from my suffering if my suffering is in accordance to your will, but please visit me in my suffering. And you know what? He is faithful to do that. 
and we'll open that idea up a little bit more. But when we're thinking about true gospel ministry, I think one is obedience to the gospel. It has to start with personal conversion. So you and I can't go around doing ministry if we're not saved. First, premise one, <laughs> ministry 101 is personal conversion. You must know the Lord. You must submit and obey the gospel. So don't go out trying to do ministry if you're not even saved. And I know you might think, well, who would do that? Sometimes we do do that. We get a good, you know, this, uh, some philanthropy. We got some good heart. We got these things, and we're going to go do something. And, and you know what? It's possible to be in the church but not be in Christ. It's possible to be in the church and not be in Christ. It's, it's possible to do all sorts of good things for God, thinking you are serving him in some way. But you know what the first thing is? Is our personal ministry must start with personal conversion. We must know the Lord. We must be found in Christ. And only from that are we then qualified and equipped to go preach the grace that we ourselves have experienced. If the gospel is theory to you, you're no use to Jesus. The gospel is only true if you've experienced it. Now I'm saying not your experience makes it true. It's in the sense that it's, you can't preach it from a heart of true conviction. If you haven't experienced it. But do you know what? We who have been saved by grace through faith can go preach grace. Why? Because it's not theory. We have been saved. And that's the heart of true ministry. First, obedience to the gospel. And this is some of the scriptures that I've been wrestling with this week. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 8 says, this, this is what's coming, future tense. Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire and afflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So we first have to obey the gospel. But then second, I think true ministry is preaching the gospel as well. Um, and, and this is the testimony we preach. And as, as Paul is experiencing here, he's been put in these places to do exactly that, to preach the gospel. And we're going to see next week, he has a really unique opportunity to preach the gospel over a two-year period while he's still under arrest. But this is part of, the, of, of true ministry, is, is, is being able to preach the gospel, no matter what is happening. And so Jesus encourages Paul in this, and he says, take courage. You see in verse 11, it says, the following night the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you testified to me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And this is exactly what Paul would go on and do. But that's the beauty of true ministry, is it's testifying about Jesus Christ. It's testifying about what he has done. And it's a scary thing to look at suffering in light of ministry. And I want to share a quote from, from Elizabeth Elliot. I've been, I've, been, I've been wrestling with some of her thoughts and ideas the last couple of days. Um, and I am so inspired by this woman. And I haven't read a lot of, of her work in the past. And I, I plan to read more uh, in, in, in the future. But this quote really gripped me. And I want to share it with you this morning. And it comes from her book on, on guidance from God and asking for guidance from God. She says this. She says, the more we pay for advice, the more we are likely to listen to it. Advice from a friend, which is free, we may take or leave. Advice from a consultant, we have paid much for personally, we are more likely to accept. But it's still our choice. We can take it or leave it. But the guidance of God is different. First of all, we do not come to God asking for advice, but for God's will. 
And that is not optional. And God's fee is the highest one of all. It costs us everything. To ask God for guidance requires abandonment. We no longer say, if I trust you, you will give me such and such. Instead, we must say, I trust you. Give me or withhold from me what you will. Whew. That is the heart of true ministry. Saying to God, I trust you. Give me or withhold from me what you will. And as John Newton says, as you will, what you will, when you will. So have our minds centered here on this is true ministry. And Paul is in this position not because ministry is not going well. He's in this position because his ministry is going well. Because he didn't ask God for some advice. He asked God for his will. You and me must do the same. Don't ask God for advice. Ask him to show you his will. And when he does, do you know what you have to do then? Do you know? You don't get the option to take it or leave it. If you leave it, you are sinning. When God gives you not his advice, but his will, when he says, this is what I've called you to, this is where I want you to go, this is what I want you to do, our next step is obedience to that. Even if that is great cost, even if that brings suffering upon our lives. Do you believe that? That's hard to believe, but we have to believe that. But I want to move on. I want to talk about suffering. What, what can we see? Seeing and suffering. I believe that there's some things that we can see in suffering. And as I think through Paul's suffering, um, clearly he must see these things. But as all, also for us, there's, there's something here for us to glean. And, and, and what's inside of us, we can see in suffering. I love this quote from, from John Owen. He says, the reasons for which God tests us. First, he does it to show man what is in his heart. He would have us either to see the grace or corruption that dwells there. And God also reveals his renewing grace through our testing. When we are in suffering, we see what's truly inside of us. We see either the grace or corruption that lives there. And also in suffering, we see God's renewing grace. So when Jesus Christ shows up, put, it, put, put this picture in your mind. Imagine Paul in this, this very sad state. And Jesus visits him there and renews his grace and says, take courage, I am with you. This is the beauty that we see. I can, I can see Paul being completely humbled, having nothing to offer Jesus Christ. You think, you know, when you have someone over, you want to you wanna put on your best face, you want to... Get the house in order. You want to have some snacks ready. Have some drinks to offer. What does Paul have to offer Jesus here? Nothing. Paul has probably a bed of straw to sleep on. And here comes Jesus. And you know what Paul doesn't even have to offer Jesus? Jesus, don't worry. When I get out of here, I'm going to serve you for the rest of my life. Paul couldn't say that. You know what Paul knew? Paul knew he was in prison and that's it. Until Jesus shows up. What does Jesus say? There's more work to be done. So, and at least that, Paul's like, well, at least I know I'm not going to die here. I might die when I get to Rome, but at least here I'm not going to die. But he had nothing to offer him. He couldn't even offer a commitment to further ministry. He couldn't even offer, Lord, I'll go preach for you. He couldn't because his fate was unknown to him at that time. But Jesus shows up and encourages him and says, 
take heart. He says, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And so we see this, that, that even in our suffering, we can, see, we can see Jesus. And I believe this. We see Christ look tenderly upon his creatures in their suffering. And I can, I can remember many different biblical examples of this, that, that when Jesus gets word that Lazarus has died and he weeps and, and he has a tender heart, we see all throughout Scripture Jesus being tender towards those who are suffering. And you know who he was harsh to? He was harsh to the proud. He was harsh to the arrogant. But he was always tender towards those who were humbled. That's beautiful, and that's good news to us. It's good news to you and me. When we find ourselves in suffering, when we find ourselves hurt, asking God, how can this be? How can, how can I be in your will and this kind of thing happen? Jesus reminds us in those moments that he's not far away from his suffering servants. And there's a tenderness and a sweetness that is there that I see here in the scripture. But I want to end with this idea of focusing on the nearness of Christ. You know, I can, I can, I can just imagine Paul. He's hungry. He's hurting. You know, literally, he's been beaten. Uh, like, I, like I started this thing, he's probably been getting his ribs kicked in when the Romans saved him. But then also he has the Ananias experience where they probably punched him pretty hard in his mouth. Can you imagine the sores in his mouth, the, the way his body would hurt? Probably hasn't gotten much sleep. Like I said, probably got a, a bed of straw to sleep on. Stressed out. What are the next steps? How do I get out of this? What's coming? I can imagine Paul just beat down and humbled. He's not been promised safety. He's not been promised an end to his suffering. Jesus doesn't show up even and say, Paul, don't worry. Everything's going to be fine from here on out. You won't have any more suffering. If you can just get through this, everything from here on out will be fine. Jesus never says that to him. What does Jesus say? Here's what we need to hear. It's about Jesus, not about us. He doesn't, he doesn't say anything about his suffering in that moment other than take courage for I've got more work for you to do. Man. But we don't take that to mean that he is not tender towards those who are hurting. I love this, that, that we see Jesus showing up. You know, Paul probably could say, he probably could say to Jesus in that moment, I'm tired. I'm done. Man, this is, this is, this is not what I signed up for. I'm hurting. I'm hungry. No one's come to visit me except for you, Jesus. And you know what? Paul, all Paul had to do was stop preaching. Do you know if Paul would have said, hey, guys, bring someone here. I'm ready to plea bargain here. If you will let me out, I will never preach the name of Jesus Christ ever again. Do you know he could have solved all of that by doing that and go live his happy little quiet life and never have to face suffering again? But you know what was never on the table? That was never on the table for Paul. Praise God that was never on the table for Paul. And if that was never on the table for Paul, what tells us that can be on the table for us? Because I think in a, in, a, in a way that we are missing, that in our sufferings, Christ is near to us. And so I believe instead of avoiding suffering, we should ask that Jesus come visit us in our suffering and recognize that he does, that he is near those who are suffering. He is near those who are humbled. 
And so when we start to look at this, we have to say in our own lives that our current suffering is not a sign that Christ has left us. I'll put this on the screen. Your current suffering is not a sign that Christ has left you. So I don't know what you've got going on. I don't know what suffering you're, you're encountering. Suffering can take many different forms. And sometimes, you know what? Sometimes we bring suffering on ourselves because when we sin, we invite suffering on ourselves. So if that's you, Christ will visit you there too. But he, but he visits you first with a charge to repent, a charge to turn to him. But even in that, he's tender. I love the idea that we get from the Puritans, which I think is completely biblical, that there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. And I don't know about you, if you've ever had a phone call with someone who's just devastated by their sin. I don't know if you've been that person who's just been absolutely devastated by their sin. What do you not want to hear? You don't want to hear a harsh word. Sometimes it's hard to even read in the scripture. You're kind of, you, you feel naked and ashamed. But you know what the gospel is? You know what the gospel is? That Jesus loves those who are broken. Jesus is tender towards those people. And if you find yourself in that, do not expect Christ to be harsh with you, but expect Christ to be tender towards you. That he does not break the, root, the, the reed that has been bruised. He does not snuff out the fire that is barely going. And sometimes that's what we can have in our lives and our suffering and our pain. And we can start to wonder how in the world is all this going to work out. And in those moments, there's a lot of smoke. Not much heat, not much light. But you know what Jesus doesn't do? He doesn't come snuff out what is there. Rather, he comes and builds it back up. Why? Because he's glorified in that. He's glorified in forgiving sinners. He's glorified in taking the things that have been broken. He is glorified in showing those broken creatures, you and me, grace, so that what? So that we can go live quietly, enjoying our grace by ourselves? No. So that we can go preach the gospel to preach grace to others who are broken and hurting right now. So I want us to have a correct concept of ministry. Ministry is obedience to Christ. In suffering, we see things. We reveal, we have things revealed to us, what is in our heart, whether the grace or corruption that lives there. We also see in our sufferings, Jesus. We see Jesus in our sufferings. And also, we see the nearness of Christ that our suffering is not a sign that Christ has left us. Our failures, our flaws, our guilt, none of these can cause Christ to be separated from us. And you may feel that way, but it's not true. You may feel that my guilt, my sin, my shame is going to keep Jesus away from me, but it is not true. Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, he wasn't like, I hope this works for somebody. I hope this works for somebody. On the cross, he had you and me and everyone who will ever come to him on his heart and mind. He had every sin you and I have ever committed on his heart and mind that day. And when God exacted punishment on Christ, he was satisfied in that. In Jesus taking the death that we should die. So that you and I can see only the tender mercy of God.
and not see his holy justified wrath. So as we close this morning, I want us to meditate on this truth that Jesus is near the humble, that Christ is a friend who visits and encourages the humble, And God lifts up the humble. He, def- he defends, he restores, he redeems. And as I was talking with my wife this morning, you know, I was, I was so excited about this um, Elizabeth Elliot quote. Talking about when we trust God, we don't say, I trust you, you will give me such and such. But instead we must say, I trust you, give me or withhold from me what you will. I was excited about that. And she said, you know what, that brings, brings to mind another quote. And, and I wrote it down. God will not protect you from anything that will make you more like Jesus. God will not protect you from anything that will make you more like Jesus. Amen. I love that. So as we close this morning, I want to invite you to experience the nearness of Christ in 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 your personal ministry, whether it be challenging right now, Maybe you're, maybe you're feeling far away from God. Maybe you're living in unrepentant sin. Come on. Maybe that's where you are. We are believers. And we believe in the gospel. And the gospel is that Jesus Christ came and lived the life we could not live. Died the death that we should have died. And raised to life so that we can have hope and eternal life. And so I want to encourage you to meditate on these truths this week, that if you are feeling overwhelmed by the suffering you experience, I want you to hold to a couple of things. One, in our ministries, we are not guaranteed peace. And when I, when I say peace, I don't mean the peace of God. We are guaranteed the peace of God. But what I mean is that in our ministries, likely we will suffer. And it is a perfectly biblical concept to understand that when we are truly obedient to Christ, we will suffer. So let us, let us be challenged by this biblical concept that if Paul, if Paul wasn't rescued from his suffering, but Paul was told, you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing, even though it cost you a great amount, we should hold to that truth as well. But two, if you are suffering, if you are broken, if you are wondering where God is in all of this, I want to remind you that your current suffering is not a sign that Christ has left you. 